This episode of the Picture Line Podcast is brought to you by Panasonic. Panasonic has launched their Black Friday deals early, so you can beat the crowds on holiday savings. Right now, Lumix 30x Zoom point-and-shoot cameras are as low as $349. Mirrorless kits, including a body and two lenses, are as low as $599, plus huge savings on Leica lenses. Come into PictureLine this holiday season for even more exclusive savings. Thanks to Panasonic for sponsoring this episode. My guest this week on the PictureLine podcast is Griffin Hammond. He is a indie filmmaker. He directed the uh, documentary film Sriracha. Uh, which you may have heard of. It is. It was a official selection at over 20 film festivals. Uh, the LA Daily News called it the hottest film of 2013. Griffin, let me ask you, was that a pun? Oh, yeah, maybe it was. <laughs> <laughs> um, he uh, is known for uh, creating DIY filmmaking tutorials. Uh, did, on, is that on YouTube? Yeah, you do those? I have okay. a YouTube channel where um, I share a lot of that stuff. And he is a Panasonic ambassador. Is that kind of your official title? Yeah, they they actually specifically call me the global brand ambassador for the GH5. That's okay, like my, cool. So that's that's kind of your kind of the yeah. the GH5 guy. Awesome. Well, Griffin Hammond, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm really amazed by how beautiful Picture Line is. It is it is an amazing store. <laughs> like I, you know, if you've never been in our store, if you don't even live in Utah and you're listening to this, I encourage you to make the trek because yeah. it's such a cool store. I've I've only been here a short time. Um, but I can't get over just, it's, it's big, it's airy, yeah. it's, you know, lights and there's windows everywhere yeah. and it's, it's, it's really incredible. And I live in New York city where no one has this much real estate. Right. But. Exactly. Yeah. Everything's <laughs> kind of packed into right. alleyways and stuff. Yeah. It's not yeah. what a camera store looks like in yeah. my neck of the woods. Right. So, um, you are based in New York city Yeah. and you kind of, uh, was Sriracha kind of your big, uh, your biggest sort of. Projects yeah. to date, or or up to that point, I guess. Yeah, it really was. It was kind of my first big passion project, and it was. I, I'd been doing a little bit of a freelancing on the side, but I was working for YouTube at the time. Okay, and that was my full time job, and just decided I have the skills I believe now to make a film, and I want to be at a film festival. Actually, I took Sriracha to Doc Utah. Yeah, I think a couple of our, our uh, Pictureland team saw it there. Yeah. I think that's, yeah. <laughs> and so it was just a place in my life and my career where I wanted to be able to call myself a filmmaker, thought I had the skill set because mm-hmm. I'd been making a lot of videos for many years. I knew the equipment and uh, just set out to make that film over eight months. And then that was the, the passion project that kind of launched everything that happened since then. I mean, okay. I got a job in New York that moved me there. I was living in Illinois before that. Mm-hmm. Uh I moved to New York because they, Bloomberg News liked this documentary and thought that I could cover presidential politics. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> um, when did you do that? When was that? In August 2014, I moved to New York with my okay. wife. Okay. So you were covering this last yeah. presidential yeah, from, from Because that's right. Because Sriracha was 2013. Right. So, yeah. okay, that timeline yeah. checks out. I mean, yeah. The, I mean, we're... You know, we're we're coming up on the midterms right now. Mm-hmm. Right after the midterm election is pretty much when the presidential election season kind of begins. Gears up, yeah. Someone could announce their intention to run as early as November. Yeah, <laughs> maybe January. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, is that something that you're going to be I, kind of covering again? For I do wonder if I'll be pulled or... back into that world. I'm kind of addicted to news now. That was my first journalism job, and yeah, I, yeah. I really enjoyed it. Okay. Well, I'm 
jumping all over <laughs> yeah. the place. So let's, um, I want to talk about Sriracha and some of your other projects as, as sort of a way to talk about documentary filmmaking. Because you are at Picture Line this weekend uh, to talk about your style, yeah. uh, your method for producing documentary films, uh, sort of this run-and-gun style, I guess is how it's been uh, described to me. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about Sriracha first. Sure. What you mentioned this was something the the first time you got the chance to really do this and kind of put your heart into it. Um, why sriracha? Well, where where did the inspiration for the topic come from? Yeah, to talk about sriracha. Well, it was around that time I was going to a lot of film festivals, and I think also the Oscars. You know how they have the the documentary short category. Mm-hmm. I mean, anything under forty minutes is considered a short. Mm-hmm. And I went to a movie theater where they were screening all the documentary shorts together. And I always liked that category a lot. But between each one, they had a director of like a previous year winner just talking a little bit about the craft. And I can't even remember the guy's name, but he just said, you know, you have to make films about things you love. And I guess I just, I mean, I kind of maybe had heard that or should have known that. But just never really thought about that clearly, uh, putting that towards my work. So after I returned from a film festival, just really motivated to make something, I knew I should make the category that I love, which mm-hmm. is documentary shorts. Mm-hmm. So maybe I'll make like a 20-minute film. It turned out to be a 33-minute film, but it's kind of aiming still there. for Yeah, still sub-40. Short. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I should make it about something that I'm passionate about. And so I really just started listing off the things that I like a lot yeah. in my life. And Sriracha is surprisingly very high on the list. That's wonderful. Because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love Sriracha. Yeah. Um, and you really can make a film about, like, anything that you're excited about. Yeah. And what you found about Sriracha was was really, really interesting, I think. I've, I've gotten to see a little bit of the short film. Uh, I have plans to, to watch the oh, rest yeah. of it tonight. It's easy to find. Um, it's on Amazon Prime for anyone who's a Prime subscriber. It's a free. Yeah. yeah, go find it on uh, on Amazon Prime, Sriracha by uh, Griffin Hammon. Um Okay, so you just you found this thing that you liked. Um, where did the angle come from? If you if you just if you just talked about sriracha, how did you get to eventually Thailand? Yeah, well, I I I was excited about the idea of the film because I imagined I just I knew there were a lot of like crazy fans, mm-hmm. like people wear T-shirts with sriracha sauce on it, right? There's just so many, like, there's so much pop culture around it. So I thought I'd make ketchup a film. Ketchup doesn't, ketchup right, doesn't exactly. have that kind of. <laughs> no one wears, like, a Heinz 57 <laughs> right, shirt. Yeah. Some, someone does, but. <laughs> I'm sure. It doesn't have the same passion. So I thought just the passion that fans have would make for an exciting film. Like, I envisioned a bride and groom, like, with a sriracha-flavored wedding cake. Right, like, yeah. That was the kind of thing I imagined sure. the film could be about. But once I started researching it, realized that David Tran, who makes the sauce, mm-hmm. there was very little about him out in the news world. There hadn't been too many articles written. So I was able to read everything. And he just seemed like a fascinating character. And once I got to know him and film with him, it just became clear that the story is about him, not mm. about the, the people that love the sauce right. so much. And to fully understand the story of Sriracha, you really do have to go to Thailand because the sauce is named after a town in Thailand called yeah. Sriracha, yeah. Uh, which I didn't originally have a budget to go to Thailand, but I did a Kickstarter campaign kind of in the middle of production. Mm-hmm. And I asked for $5,000, but I had already built a big audience of people that were excited about the film. And within eight hours, it hit 5000 And within 30 days, it hit 21000 Wow. So suddenly, I had some extra money to work with. Sure, yeah. And realized I should add a trip to New York. I should add a trip to Thailand to tell the full story, mm-hmm. 
which is perhaps what made the film 33 minutes and not 20. Right, yeah. Um, so it was it was the research that led you to sort of the, the eventual kind of approach that you wanted to take, which was focusing on David Tran and kind of his his impact and, and not really knowing his impact, Yeah, maybe, you know. I mean, people make documentaries for all sorts of reasons. Uh, sometimes it's just good storytelling. Maybe you have a political agenda. For me, I find the things I make films about are just, I'm really curious mm-hmm. and I want to know the answers. And this is something in my life, this sriracha sauce that I use all the time, and I realize I know so little about it. I couldn't even tell you at the beginning of this whole process what country it came from. Right, yeah. I didn't even know it was made in the U.S. Uh-huh. when I first started. And so really just tracking down all the answers, that was my goal, and that kind of took me all over the world. Okay. Well, I, I think uh, the, the thing I'm interested in about documentaries is why, you know, what was the why behind them and, yeah. and why, you know, why did someone feel the need to, to tell the story? Sometimes it's, it's pretty obvious, but, you know, I think we're in a moment right now where documentary storytelling is kind of on the rise again. Oh, yeah. You know, between uh, true crime podcasts and Netflix documentary series and, you know, Ken Burns is still doing his thing. <laughs> I think he's always been kind of a big deal. But um, there's there's just this, this rise in interest in these kinds of stories. Um, I think so. Do you, do you have any thoughts on that and why, yeah. why that might be? I mean, so I've been making tutorial videos for a long time on YouTube, and so I've been interacting with a young kind of, you know, a lot of amateur filmmakers getting into the business for the mm-hmm. first time, those kind of people. Yeah. And I've just seen over the years young people getting more and more interested in documentary. And I don't know the full reasons why, but I do suspect that Netflix probably has a big part of that, mm-hmm. just that documentaries are so accessible now. They're not competing with primetime television anymore for spots. I mean, there's plenty of ways to watch a documentary now. Right. Yeah. And yeah, Netflix is just full of them. So I think people are stumbling upon them more easily and just, it's it's no longer an academic, boring adult medium. Mm-hmm. Anyone can enjoy a documentary. Yeah. Well, so you, you mentioned this younger audience, this, um, and you're doing a lot of these DIY videos. Um, is, what would you say to, um, Obviously, this is something you do all the time is yeah. say things to these <laughs> aspiring documentary filmmakers. Um, but if you could boil it down, if there's like one kind of piece of, of advice you would give or like a, like the thing that you want people to take away from your work who are interested in documentary filmmaking themselves, uh, how, you know, how would you, what would you say? Yeah, I think this is actually how I probably will start my presentation today, picture line, is that I want to make sure people get out of my seminar that you can start making documentary films today. Mm -hmm. And the worst thing you can do is wait until you have the best camera equipment because you probably already have something that shoots video, whether it's an iPhone or that camera that you use that you think it's not good enough because it's not professional, quote professional. Right, yeah. But no one, your audience doesn't care about how professional it looks. I mean, that's kind of a credibility thing. You You can signal that you're professional with how it looks. But really, ultimately, audiences want to suspend disbelief and get wrapped up in a story. Mm-hmm. So you can have, if you have an amazing story and poorly lit shots, it could still be a compelling documentary. Yeah. So I really think you should look at the gear that you have around you, figure out how can you record good audio. Maybe it's a separate device that does that. How can you record good video? Maybe you just shoot everything outside if you don't have lights. There's a way to make all of it look pretty and to tell the stories you want to tell. And 
if you wait around for the perfect gear or until you think you're perfectly ready, you'll just never make anything. Mm -hmm. So I would just start making something today and then you can make another film next year. Yeah. No, I think, you know, working at a camera store, we have people come in and just feel completely overwhelmed by everything and still feel the need to, you know, buy the highest end thing because they think that's what is going to make them good at whatever it is they're trying to accomplish. And, and, um, I, I think we do a good job, you know, not to make this about us, right, but yeah. um, I, I think we do a, a pretty good job of steering people towards what they need versus what they think they need. Yeah. You know, to have someone come in and say, I need, you know, the Canon 5D Mark IV because that's, you know, that's what this YouTuber uses or this right. filmmaker uses, you know. Um, we we, we want to try and fight against that because we want people to be able to um, be able to accomplish you know, yeah. the things that they want to. Well, yeah, I mean, um, there's, it's part of this industry. There's always going to be gear lust. We all sure. get wrapped up in, like, the most yeah. exciting. We're about to talk about it, so get yeah. ready. <laughs> and it's easy to think, like, well, I shouldn't buy a camera today because Sony's going to come out with something more exciting in six months than yeah. Panasonic after that. or You know, but I just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, whatever you have is, you know, the thing for sure. Yeah. Um, I think that's that's great advice. So all that being said, Let's talk about gear a little mm-hmm. bit. <laughs> um, so you are a, the global, say, what was the, what was the title? I'm the global brand ambassador brand for ambassador. the Panasonic GH5. And why that camera? Is that, well, let's, let's, let's widen out a little bit more. Um, how long have you been shooting with Panasonic? For a long time. Uh, I started with the GH1. Okay. I think it came out in 2009. I picked it up in 2010. And... I've liked this series of cameras ever since then, just because they seem very video focused mm-hmm. for a DS or a mirrorless mm-hmm. camera. Uh, I mean, certainly they can take photos, but I've liked that they've always had audio meters, and uh, with later iterations, they added headphone jacks before competitors. Uh, just little things like that. Like right now, the GH5 is the camera I use, and it just has everything I would need as a video person. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, that's that's kind of. My question is, like, what is it about the uh, the GH5 specifically and Panasonic in general that sort of accomplished what you needed to? So I, I guess yeah, it, a lot of those filmmaking things. It's funny, though, because, like I said, you know, I try not to get too wrapped up in gear lust. So it's like the GH3 is what I shot Sriracha on. Mm-hmm. I shot that in 1080. And I'm still showing that film in theaters occasionally if a film festival invites me. And 1080 looks great on a movie theater screen. Yeah. And I, I would... I would challenge you to take a regular audience and without showing them a side-by-side comparison, because I do think people could tell the difference between 1080 and 4K mm. in side-by-side. Sure. I don't think most people could tell the difference if you just ask them, what is this resolution? Mm. Interesting. Uh, so, like, as much as I, you know, I want the latest and greatest, like, even the GH3, if I was still shooting with that today, and that's, I don't know, that camera's six, seven years old or something, mm. I think I'd be fine. Yeah. And so even the, then the GH4, I thought was kind of a perfect camera. It was 4K, had all the features I loved from the GH3. And then Panasonic says, hey, you've been using these cameras forever. Uh, you know, this was kind of, again, Sriracha leading me to some new opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, Panasonic noticed Sriracha. They noticed all the YouTube videos I make about their cameras. And they said, we'd love to give you the GH5 before anyone else and let you shoot a short doc with it. How do you, how's that sound? I was like, of course. But I just kept thinking, what are you going to add to this camera? Because uh-huh. I don't need anything else. Right, yeah. But the big thing they added was in-body image stabilization. Stabilization, yeah. yeah. Which now that I, when I go back to my GH4, it's still a great camera. I have it with me here today. 
but it does just look shakier, right? Uh, the footage when it's handheld, and so yeah. I do kind of I do love the in-body image stabilization. Yeah. Okay. Well, and you you sort of answered another question I had, which was how did you how did your love of Panasonic cameras lead to your ambassadorship with Panasonic? And I guess the answer is through Sriracha and kind of having yeah. that. Um, was that just you kind of like, you know, talking about the pan about the GH four, the GH three, and 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 you know, making your love of that known over the course of promoting this film and letting people know, you know, it was shot on Panasonic, and that that led them to your door, or you know, was it something a little? Yeah, I mean, I've always been in the habit of sharing behind the scenes videos, mm -hmm. and I do think that's a good way to build an audience mm -hmm. and have something of value to provide. It's why I do a podcast now. It's why I make the YouTube videos because I just want to share value and so i was doing that through sriracha and then one of my most popular videos of all time is how to set up your new gh4 so i think we're four or five years mm -hmm. since the gh4 came out but it's still one of my top videos and it just clearly got panasonic's attention i mean the numbers on that video i think it's over half a million wow. views which has got to be like most of the people who have the product right. <laughs> so I, I i do think that probably almost everyone who bought this camera then went online and watched and my found that video yeah. and I, I i heard that kind of feedback i'd run into people in public and they'd say hey you're the guy who taught me how to use my that's gh4 cool. camera that's got to be fun so be like to... it was kind of logical that that panasonic would want to reach out with to me and makes you know they want me to make something similar for the gh5 right but it just that kind of thing keeps teaching me that it's important to just make a lot of work because you never know which thing is going to lead to an opportunity. And, you know, at the time, I wasn't thinking I'm making this so that one day I can be shooting projects for Panasonic and right. traveling the world teaching for Panasonic. Mm -hmm. I was just making it because I felt like I had some expertise in that area and thought I could share it, and that would be useful to people. Yeah. And so I, I, I've probably made thousands of, of videos, and it's always, like, weird little ones that I didn't – I'm not particularly proud of that end up – leading to something really right, exciting. Yeah. <laughs> That's that always does seem to be how it goes. Um okay, well, so equipment. You posted a picture on Instagram today. Mm -hmm. Uh when when the day we're recording this uh of it was a flat lay of all the gear you have yeah. with you. Um and that sort of constitutes your run and gun style. Right. So is there first off is there one piece of gear in there? Obviously the camera. But is there something else that you recommend? You, 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 every documentary filmmaker needs to have this one thing. Is there something? In oh there? yeah, definitely. Because I, you know, today I'm packing like the most gear I'm usually would. Sometimes I may bring a little bit more, and then maybe I have to check a bag or something. Mm -hmm. I try never to check a bag at the airport if I don't have to, uh, and that's still a lot of gear. Or sometimes I just go out, like you know, go into the woods with a drone, and maybe I just bring one camera and no tripods or anything. But there's one piece of gear that I always bring with me when I have a camera, especially if I don't bring a tripod. It's the Pedco Ultra Clamp. Okay. Do you know what this is? I don't, know. I mean, some other people, I think Manfrotto has something similar that's a little bit more heavy duty. But I like the Pedco Ultra Clamp because it's this really lightweight plastic clamp with a quarter 20 tripod thread at mm -hmm. the end. And it's, uh, it's like arti articulating. Okay. So you can just clamp it onto anything and then you have a tripod. Or okay, cool. a mic stand, or yeah. sometimes I put up lighting with it. So it's just like the smallest little $20 thing. I have three of them right now. <laughs> Every once in a while, I'll break one. They're not, they're not indestructible, but they are pretty durable. And they're just, they're so 
useful. Yeah. And I don't even think this company does any sort of advertising or promotion. I would love to be their spokesperson. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I don't even think they know that I exist. Right. But it's definitely yeah. my favorite most I, – I think it's just necessary. Okay. Well, cool. Um, all right. Well, uh, we covered your equipment. Is, if, there's, is, if there's anything else that you recommend – equipment rise for people now is your chance sure i mean a lot of times people will ask me to kind of rank how important is stuff and and what i hate to see is people before the you know they'll pre-order a camera or something and before they even get the camera they're already like well i need a monitor and i need this rail system and they're just Mm -hmm. buying all this stuff that Mm -hmm. i just think like if this is your first camera especially you have no idea if you need a shoulder rig or a rail system you don't know if that's your style of shooting yet so Definitely start with a camera. <laughs> Clearly, you need sure. that. But you could start with an iPhone. Uh, stabilization is usually the next thing. So mm-hmm. getting a tripod or a Petco Ultra Clamp or a gimbal, but probably a tripod. You probably need a tripod for a lot of things. Right. And then audio is usually the next most important thing, maybe even before lighting, because you can always shoot outside in the sun. Uh, but pretty quickly after you're getting like beautiful tripod shots and you're done just putting music underneath it, you're going to need some good way to capture audio. Right. So just get a good microphone, maybe get an audio recorder, or maybe you can plug the microphone right into the camera. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are the things I think people need to start with. It's probably camera, microphone, tripod. There you uh, go. And then from there, build on what what kinds of videos are you making and what are your limitations? If everything you're shooting is in the dark, then get a light. Right. Uh, but I don't <laughs> think you need to buy everything at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Well, cool. No, I think that's that's uh, pretty fantastic because, like I was saying before, that's – it's so easy to be overwhelmed when you're like, okay, well, now I yeah. need this. Now I need this. I thought I was just, you know, especially looking at if you're on a budget, it's like, I know how much this camera costs. Well, do you have, you know, even it starts with an SD card. Yeah. Oh, you need that next. Right. Okay. Now you need a tripod. Now, you, need, you know, and so it's, there's, it's, it's easy for it to become overwhelming very quickly. So right. I, I, I like the idea of letting your needs dictate your equipment as opposed to what you think you need, which, which goes back into, you know, talking about, what you think you need and what you think you need to look like and, you know, having, having those sorts of expectations as opposed to letting your style and your personality inform those things. So yeah. that's really great. Well, Griffin, thank you so much thank for you, sitting Jacob. down. Do you have anything? Um, obviously you have this, this workshop going on a picture line this weekend, but um, by the time this goes out, it'll probably right. have already passed. I don't think we're getting this one out today. Um, but if if you've got anything you want to plug, maybe in New York or maybe yeah. somewhere around the country, or if um, you know something that you want to let people know about, go check out Sriracha or some of your other work. Even um, you know, well, yeah, you should definitely watch Sriracha if you haven't seen it. I'm very proud of it. I'm still. I, that's one of those things I I can't believe that I still am proud of it after uh, it's been almost five years since it came out. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a good film and. Also, the top two questions I always get are, like, what are the what gear do you use? And when I promote something like, hey, I'm in Salt Lake City to teach this class, I always get a lot of questions like, well, when are you coming to London or right. Atlanta? <laughs> uh, so you can find – I have a class, an online class, about short documentary filmmaking okay. on my website at griffinhammond.com. I also keep a full list of all the gear I use, so you can find that also at griffinhammond.com. Great. All right, well – I think they'll do it for us. Thank you. Thank you so much. This is great. This is fun. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks again to Griffin for sitting down with us. Thanks to Panasonic for sponsoring this episode. Thanks to Rode for furnishing our audio equipment. 
If you are interested in learning more about events at PictureLine, like Griffin Hammond's filmmaking workshop or any other upcoming events, you can go to PictureLine.com and check out our events section. Coming up in the month of December, you can join us at PictureLine for a workshop on photographing children called The Light of My Life with instructor Kelly Beeser. Kelly will be demonstrating how she utilizes flash both on camera and off to create perfectly lit moments in both her personal and client work. Through an image-driven lecture, a detailed shooting demonstration, and hands-on learning, every type of learner will walk away from this class energized to apply Kelly's techniques to their own work. PictureLine is located at 305 West, 700 South in Salt Lake City, and is your source for photography equipment, education, and more. One last thanks to you for listening. I'm Jacob Norwood, and we'll talk to you next time.